Welcome to Geared for Growth. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock of MCG Quantity Surveyors. Today, we're talking about alternative investments, and we've got an absolute property research guru for you. We're welcoming back to the show, John Lindemann. Now, he's going to be talking to us about some low-cost ways to get involved in property investing, whether he thinks they're a good idea or not, you're about to hear from him. But we're talking about things like land banking, property options, and adverse possession. It's a very fascinating interview with John, and I'm sure you're going to get some value out of this. And also, a bit of a cautionary tale on some of the ways where there can be things promoted to you to get into the property market game or to make money quickly that has some pretty strong inherent risks to it. Here's John. John Linderman, thanks for joining me back on Geared for Growth. It's a pleasure, Mark. We were lucky enough to have a deep dive with you back on the 10th of December 2020 and then have you back talking about property market research basics on the 1st of November 2021. So nearly nearly a year apart there and we got you back a little bit sooner because you're, you're definitely in demand on this show. And today... Oh. That's uh, that's great to hear. <laughs> it's always a pleasure chatting to you, John. Your um your reputation precedes you as a as a preeminent market researcher. But today we're taking a bit of a different angle when we're talking about alternative investment schemes. Now you're someone that's been in the industry for a long time. You've seen all sorts of players come and go, and the promises of riches for very small buy-ins are something that I know upsets you personally. Can you? Talk to us about some of these alternative investment schemes and typically who are they marketed by? Indeed, I'd, I'd love to, Mike. And uh, I think it's really important to cover this because the people that promote these schemes, I mean, some of them do actually work, but uh, they're usually you know, promoted to people who can least afford to uh, to lose money or, or time in these sorts of investments. The The three I I had in mind were land banking, uh, property options and adverse possession. So we'll see if we can cover all all three in the the time we've got available. We'll give it a red hot go. Now, land banking, it's an interesting one for you to bring up because in in my head, land banking is is really a domain of the of the super wealthy, right? They're purchasing these these properties and maybe even farmland over a long period of time to to have that rezoned and developed into a new estate. But how can one get involved in land banking at a cheaper price point? Well, the idea here is that uh, somebody buys a, a farm, as you say, or an orchard or something way out in the the outback. And then they sell options or, or units to secure those parcels of land when eventually they're developed. So it, it means that you're investing in something with a long investment horizon. It's what they call patient capital. Um, they're marketed as being perfect for self-funded retirees because you can get rich slowly. Um, and generally they, they're marketed at events where people come in and then they sell you these concept plans where they say, look, we're going to develop you know 200 lots and you can get in now an option maybe only spend twenty forty thousand dollars and then you'll get that block of land in 10 or 20 years time when it's rezoned and you know make 10 times what you've what you've invested so it it sounds pretty attractive um, because you are offered eventual riches for a small initial outlay uh, another hook they use is you can be a passive developer in Australia's growth. So these are the sorts of lines that uh, that I've heard when I go to the the events. Um, 
where they they sell these sorts of schemes. So a lot of them, though, never actually eventuate. Would you like to give me or give you some examples, Mike? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that sounds like a very grandiose statement, you know, be an investor in, in, in Australia's growth. But I was just wondering, you know, there's no guarantee, right? Zoning happens at um, either a state or a local local government uh, level. What what happens when it's not rezoned and it can't be developed? Exactly. Well, there's two examples I, I share with you. One is called the Bendigo Hermitage land banking scheme. This was a company that made an option to purchase the farmland. They didn't actually buy it, but they exercised an option to buy it in outer Bendigo in Victoria. They then uh, developed concept plans to sell 700 options. So it was an option on an option. Um, Investors were promised returns of 20 times the amount they'd invested, which was typically about 40,000. So they raised $28 million dollars they weren't actually registered to run a managed investment scheme. The rezoning never occurred. Uh, the, all those funds were diverted to other entities owned by the directors. The company was wound up by ASIC and uh, the directors were taken to the Supreme Court. Everybody lost all their money. Um, another one was VKK Investments Unit Trust. That was in Melbourne, um, Keysborough, which is an outer suburban area, but it still zoned rural, much of it. Uh, so they bought land, they developed a plan to sell 1,250 blocks at 700,000 each. And so you could get into that uh, for an investment of around 175,000. They raised 22 million. Um, and as you suspected in this case, the rezoning didn't occur. Uh, the company couldn't pay its liabilities and was wound up and all the money was was lost. So, you know, it, there are a lot of traps with land banking. It is legal. It's a legal way to get rich slowly, as they say. Small initial deposit to participate. Um, And if they're properly managed land banking schemes, they can eventually provide a good return. Mm. But the the claims may be misleading or deceptive. You know, they usually don't events with the run to the back at the, you know, at the end of the event. Um, Claims that, that are not accurate, the scheme may not succeed or even proceed in the first place. So, you know, you don't get your money back. And, of course, there's no yield. The money you've put into that, um, you're not getting in return on whatsoever. There's an opportunity cost on on having that sitting there doing nothing, right? You, it begs yep. the question, you know, if they're, if they're raising all of this money, and this could be a, you know, a five- or ten-year time horizon, what is the money for? Is that to actually acquire that property and then start all of the civil works for a redevelopment to to actually deliver you your parcel? Is that the promise, that end product, that block of land? That's what they, they claim will happen to the money. Uh, but in many cases, it's just simply diverted into other companies that the directors own uh, and misappropriated so that that's you know you've got no control over what happens to that money and that's the, the big issue so for investors that are say at an event uh, or they're at an expo or something like that how are these things typically marketed so they could spot them and perhaps do some you know extra levels of due diligence I think one of the main things you can do is uh, look at the, the people who are promoting the scheme and then google them and see if they've been investigated by ASIC or or ACCC because quite often they you know they're well-known operators in the market with a, a bad track record. Um, the other thing is to actually look at the company that's doing it. Are they a, a properly managed land banking operation? Have they done this before and it's worked? You know, so look at the 
the actual uh, track record of the people offering that scheme. Mm. And for for people that are wanting to get started with an investment property portfolio, you know, it's becoming quite difficult and certainly in the capital cities on the eastern seaboard, there's definitely opportunities in the west and the regional areas. Is, Is this something that you think can be a good option for people or is it always just so so risky and the opportunity costs of of you know a, a non-yielding property for a, a promise of something that isn't guaranteed is, is that too risky in your view i think it's far too risky and I, I would never recommend that anyone get involved in this sort of land banking scheme i've i've yet to see any that have really you know delivered what they promise uh, but I have seen many that have resulted in, in a total loss for the people participating. So I'd be very, very wary of anything like that. Mm, that's a horrible result. All right, well, let's move on to, to property options. And, and to me, I guess they're sort of similar in a way. There's mm. the, you know, you're taking an option on, on something with the land banking on the promise that it's going to be rezoned and you'll get your parcel. What, what are we talking about here with property options? <laughs> The, the idea is that it's supposed to be a win-win. So you you go to somebody who's got a block of land, <clears throat> excuse me, and you can see potential for that block of land. It might be that you think there's going to be passive market-driven growth in the area, or you might be able to get a DA um, and get it. It might be up for rezoning in the near future. So you you can see an opportunity, but um, the, on the other hand, the person that owns that land. <clears throat> needs some ready cash for some reason. So what they do is, as a uh, provider of an option, you offer someone a certain amount of money up front, which is non-refundable, so they get the money, and that gives you the right to purchase the property in so many years' time, so five or ten years' time, for an agreed amount of money. So they know they, you know, you might buy it from them or you may not, but they've got that money up front. So that that's the benefit for them. <clears throat> the benefit for you is that you can then go and look to get a DA or the rezoning, or you might not actually have enough money to buy the property. So it gives you time to get your finance organised. So, um, and of course, it delays stamp duty. You don't pay that until you actually buy the property. So, if prices rise or the DA goes through or it gets rezoned, you stand to win when you buy that property for you know a lot less than what it's actually worth. The most common way we sort of hear about this happening is is property developers, right? They might put an option on a property just to sort of secure the option to purchase it. They'll go and see if they can get their DA through or they'll run their feasibility and make sure that the margin's there or not. And if it's not, they'll let it go. It's a price of doing business, right, um, just to be able to potentially secure that. So, you know, developers are typically punching at a, a higher level than your average sort of mum and dad investor. Is this something that you would recommend for a mum investor? Let's say they're, they're trying to raise the money and they're wanting to secure something because it's an appreciating market or, or is this is this in the uh, John Linderman's too risky bucket as well? The Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximise their claims and maximise their property education as well. The the option fee and some legals, of course. So it it's a definite opportunity if you know what you're doing in terms of, um, you know, a mum and dad type 
development or renovation opportunity. I think the risk is, of course, that um, prices may not go up during that period and they may actually go backwards and and you're going to buy the property for more than what it's worth, in which case you don't proceed and that means you've lost your uh, the option fee you've paid. And I suppose the option could specify anything. It's an option subject to a DA going through or subject to, you know, the market going up or down by a certain percentage. Can, can you put any sort of caveat on that deal? Well, you can, but the more caveats you put on, the less likely it is that someone's going to agree to, uh, to you know, take out the, the option with you. So I think... Yep. Um, that sort of thing you've got to be pretty sure of and not put it into the the agreement if if you can possibly avoid it because it's less likely to go ahead. But uh, as you say, a lot of developers, they they come to us because we've got uh, a database which predicts uh, property market growth, not just for suburbs but whole cities, and they might take out options to buy in, say, Mackay, and they come to us and say, well, is this worth exercising or not? Um, and a few years ago, you know, we, a city like Mackay, we would have said no, prices are likely to fall and therefore they simply go and exercise an option to buy somewhere else. Yep. And apart from the developers, have you seen that work in any other way that might be applicable to listeners? I, I think so. As I said, with, with a, a property that you can see potential for, uh, that the owner necessarily can't, that might be an old couple, they're not in a position to to renovate or even think about doing a, a splitter type development, you can see the opportunity. You can offer them some money, which will get them out of a, you know, they might be in a financial uh, difficulty. So you say, here's 50 grand, um, go on a trip, enjoy yourself, and I'll buy the property in five years. Yep. Now, if if it all works the way you, you've anticipated, um, then you can buy that property and go ahead and do the development and, uh, and make quite a, a financial killing. Mm, beautiful. Well, I guess it's just one of those those many areas where you, you need to be pretty sure of what you're doing and get some great advice before jumping into something like that. What about yeah. adverse possession? This is something that you don't hear about very often uh, and I'd love you to, to give us a bit of a deep dive into this and, and whether you think it's a way that is, is viable for people to make money as an alternative investment. It, it definitely works. Um, it's not easy or quick. Um, but it is possible. And, and the reason it works is because under our, our property land rights system, the Crown gives people land or gives people title to land on the expectation that they'll actually do something with it. And the it's like use it or lose it. So if you don't do something with a property, um, ultimately the Crown says we'll take that title back and give it to somebody who is doing something with it. So that opens the gate to what we call, you know, squatters' rights. In other words, people moving into a property, um, improving it, renting it out, whatever, and then ultimately taking title. So it's possible to do. It does work. Uh, there's a number of serious considerations. And the first one is you've got to find a property that's obviously abandoned. Mm-hmm. Now, in Australia at the moment, you know, there's, there's a, probably a million properties that are empty, but they're not necessarily abandoned. Yeah. They could be... But, between um, being developed or, or renovated, they could be holiday homes or whatever. So you've got to look for the ones that are actually abandoned. Um, we live in Leichhardt in the inner city of, uh, of Sydney and we've kept an eye on, I think, about 10 houses that we know of in Leichhardt that have been empty for years and there's no one obviously living in there. So you've, you find these properties, say, yep, they're obviously abandoned, 
the next thing is to find out why was was it abandoned and it's what's happened to the owner so you've got to find out who owns that property and what's happened to the owner uh, there's lots of reasons that properties become abandoned it could be that the owners died and left no beneficiaries so it's simply just sitting there empty uh, the beneficiaries may live overseas and have no interest in that property whatsoever um, the owner could have become sick or mentally ill um, they might have moved overseas themselves they could be jailed so imagine if the owner goes to jail for a lengthy period of time um, and therefore the property simply becomes abandoned Another thing is that a lot of people flee for legal, personal or financial reasons. And um, I looked up the Australian Federal Police files and 38,000 people disappear every year in Australia. Wow. Uh, yeah, either deliberately or, uh, or by foul play. But that's a lot of people. Yeah. Um, you know, so that means there's properties out there that people own, but the owners have gone overseas or died or uh, in jail or, or whatever. So you find out, well, what happened to the owner? the last thing you want is for the owner to come back because you have got 12 years in New South Wales and 15 in Victoria, about the same in other states, where the owner can come back and say, hang on, you're living in my property, I want it back. So you've got to be really sure that the owner's gone for good. Um, then you move in and you simply change the locks and it's got to be open and obvious possession. So that means you know, everyone knows you've moved in um, and if you do that for 12 years or 15 in Victoria, you can then apply to the land titles office for legal title to that property. And it's all you do is you pay the stamp duty on, on the property and it becomes yours. This is, this is something that we've seen some very famous cases happening in places like London where there's been squatters that have sort of got gotten hold of sort of um, stately homes, right? But when mm. back... Back when I studied real estate, we talked a little bit about this and there were some some more arduous conditions like um, you're needing to sort of move in and maintain the property. It's got to be very obvious. But uh, I'm, my understanding is that you also need to, to make an attempt to contact the owner, which kind of, you know, seems a bit counterintuitive to the whole to whole thing, right? But I guess mm. if, you're, if you're genuinely trying to find who the owner is and you find that there is no rightful owner, then... Is that sort of satisfying that requirement? Yeah, you, you don't actually have to try and find the owner. Um, well, you, it's in your interest to try and do that because yep. the last thing you want is for the owner to suddenly turn up. Um, but it's the onus is on the owner to reclaim the property. Yep. So, you know, that they've actually got to come and say, hang on, you're living in my house, get out. Uh, after 12 years, they can't do that anymore if it's been open and obvious position. So I'll give you an example of um, one in Sydney. Please, it was a yeah. House in okay, um, a house in Ashbury, which is an inner uh, Sydney suburb, and the owner of the house in Ashbury died in 1947. Uh, there's a guy that died. He didn't leave a will. Um, the house had been rented to a lady managed by uh, some property managers, and they just organised the rate payments and everything. And so she lived there until she died in 19. 98 so the owner had gone he, he was out of the picture died in 1947 mm. but the the property managers kept on paying the rates and everything because the lady was was paying the rent um so it just went on until she died and then this local uh, property developer called bill gertos 
he found this house and he thought, hang on, it's been abandoned. There's no one in there. So he moved in, he renovated it and he rented it out for 20 years. And then he claimed adverse possession. That was a few years ago. It was in all the papers. Yeah, right. um, and said, I, this is now my house. And the, the owner, you know, the deceased owner's family found out about this and they said, that's, that's our, you know, inheritance. So they took him to court and they lost the case because he had claimed, you know, adverse possession. Um, and so he gained the house, they lost it, and he sold it a year ago for $1.4 million. Wow. So, you know, it does happen. You've just got to be very, very careful that uh, the owner's not going to come back. And you said you're looking at a couple in the uh, Leichhardt area. You got <laughs> you, you reckon you've got a chance? Is, I mean, is this a viable strategy or is this one of those, you know, winning the lottery type deals? It It is a viable strategy. And there's um, we actually run a course, or we used to run a course called uh, Property for Peanuts, in which we explained how you can go about doing this. Um, but it's not, it's not a current course. Um, but in that, what we discovered was there are a lot of people who are actually interested in in taking possession of these sorts of properties. So you could go out and find properties like this that meet all the conditions. You've tried to locate the owner and so on. And then you can on-sell this opportunity to somebody else who's quite willing to wait, you know, the the remaining 10 years or whatever, and then claim that uh, that property. So there are ways of doing it without actually having to wait all that time. Wow. Well, I'll be interested to see in uh in 20 years from time if we get an in an influx of adverse possession based on your sagely wisdom there john thank you for um thank you for coming back on the show we really appreciate um you you giving us some insight into these alternative uh investment styles is uh, are there any sort of tips that you want to leave us with i think the the main thing with all of these alternative schemes the, the idea is you you people are attracted to them because there's very little upfront outlay and that's the you know with property that's always the the biggest disincentive but in these cases as you see you've got to wait a long time um, to get any sort of benefit from it and there's always a higher degree of risk so if you do get involved in any of these schemes and as I said some of them do work be very very careful and wary and do all your homework before you um, sign anything. Yeah, and if it sounds too good to be true, there's a chance that it might actually be. It probably is. Awesome. Thanks for coming back on the show, John. Really appreciate it. Love chatting to you. It's been a pleasure, Mike. Cheers.